0: Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Well, good morning, Crossroads. Great to be with you. We are wrapping up our series. For seven weeks, uh, we've been looking at the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And as you've made your way through, as you've been looking at these passages, uh, you realize that it's, it's a mix of letters. What Jesus has to say is he walks among as he observes the churches, what's going on. It's good and bad. It's beautiful and ugly. And uh, for some churches, it's a, it's a mix. Jesus says, here's the good stuff I see. Here's some of the things that aren't so good. Here's some course corrections to take. Uh, there are two churches where he has nothing but good to say. And then there are two churches where he has nothing good to say. And uh, on the map, uh, we've been walking our way among uh, the Roman postal route, which goes correctly in order with the way the revelation goes. And this is Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And I got to tell you myself, I was tempted. I was tempted to mix up the order a little bit, especially here at the ending, because last week was Philadelphia, where Jesus only had good things to say. Today, Laodicea, where he has nothing good to say. I'm like, oh, that's, that's hard. That's a little hard to like finish up a series where Jesus has no kind words, but we're sticking with the order. And the letter to the church in Laodicea starts out just like this in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus has this to say. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. And so, a lot of the same things we've heard before this is Jesus speaking, referencing himself, writing to the church, uh, the leader, the pastor, but it's to be read to the entire church. But then we get to this unique part. And often we think about hot, good, cold, bad. Uh, but Jesus is like, no, no, no. That's not the way he's talking here. He is saying, you know, hot is good. Cold is good. Uh, it is neither that is bad. And Jesus says, I wish you were one or I wish you were the other. I wish you weren't just indifferent. I wish you weren't in the middle. Now, when Jesus says these words, you and I think, well, what's Jesus talking about? But the church The city would know exactly what Jesus is talking about because this city, being incredibly wealthy, had one very significant problem. Uh, It's the same problem that the southwest part of our country has, and that is they do not have adequate water source nearby. Uh, They need to pipe their water in. And we're at a time in history where the Roman aqueduct exists. And it's a city that's incredibly wealthy. So they are piping in their water from five miles away. These hot springs, these rich minerals, a place where people would just love to go and soak. It's therapeutic in the hot water. That's the city. That's the main aqueduct system that's running into Laodicea. And what happens is as the water comes that five miles in the Roman aqueduct, it's no longer hot. It's not cold and refreshing. It's filled with yucky tasting minerals. And that was their water supply. And that is what Jesus is referencing. He's like, I wish you were hot Uh, like the water that's coming from that city or cool and refreshing like the water in the city of Colossus, but like you are neither. You are just this in-between good for nothing. Couldn't you be cold and refreshing? Couldn't you be like warm and hot and therapeutic? Good for something, not good for nothing. C.S. Keener and talking about this passage, he says it like this, there is nothing more disgusting than a half-hearted, in-name-only Christian who is self-sufficient. Don't settle. Don't settle for following God halfway. Uh, Let Christ fire up your faith and get you in to the action. And there's very real consequences for just being neither hot or cold. And Jesus talks about them in the next sentence, he says, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, that's not a positive picture, right? Jesus spitting the church, spitting the followers of Jesus out of his mouth. But it is so much worse than what it reads in our modern translation. Because if you go back to the original word here for spit in the Greek, it doesn't mean spit. It is vomit. It is like to hurl, uh, to puke, to upchuck, to retch, to spew. Basically, it's like this. You know that stomach bug that's going around right now all over the place? That's like what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea. You know, I just want to upchuck you. I'm just going to like spit you, spew you out of my mouth. If you're you're not getting the picture yet of what Jesus is talking about, um, if you came to my house, and this has been true for decades, and you pulled open the drawer of our freezer, you would find these ice-cold glasses. And these ice-cold glasses exist for one reason. It is so that I can have ice-cold milk at night, right? There's just something about pouring a, gl- a milk into an ice-cold glass and enjoying that. And when it's ice-cold, it's wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great way to enjoy milk. But it's not the only way, right? Right? Uh, If you come into my house, you'd also see that beside my little Nespresso machine, I have a milk frother, and sometimes I will froth that milk to make myself a mocha, or if there are guests who don't drink coffee, I make hot chocolate, because milk warmed to that perfect hot temperature mixed with chocolate, it's a beautiful thing. So when it's icy cold, it's great. When it is nice and hot for a cup of hot chocolate, it's wonderful. But here's what you won't find if you come to my house. On one of those perfect, you know, six, uh, let's say in the 60s to upper, you know, mid 80s, you know, temperature days. You won't find a glass of milk that has just been sitting outside in the sun for hours. That's what you won't find. You know, that lukewarm glass of milk just soaking in the sun, you don't get that, right? That's not what you're not gonna find. Because, man, if you came to my house and you picked up that old glass of milk and you were drinking, it's like it's like ah, you couldn't take it. You just like would spew it out, right? You don't want it, and that's what Jesus is saying here. Be good for something, be icy cold, be refreshing water. Be hot and therapeutic. That's great. It has a reason. But this lukewarm, horrible tasting, good for nothing water, that is not what I want. And I will spew it out of my mouth. So why is it that this church, maybe out of all the churches might remind you more of the American church than any others? Why is there some things that might resemble too close to Him? Jesus continues on. And He says this He says, You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize. You just don't get it. You don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus says, You. Don't get it. Jesus, you're missing it. You don't realize, man, this is the way you see yourself. But this is how I see you. This is your reality. You don't see that you're neither hot nor cold. You think you got it going on because you have everything you need. You're interpreting wealth as a spiritual blessing, and that's not the case. You think other churches like Philadelphia should like be envying you because of your wealth, because you have so much and they have so little. That's not the case. You just can't see it. You're missing it. You don't realize and understand your reality. You don't understand that you're wretched, poor, blind, naked, miserable. Here's what we know about the city of Laodicea. Incredibly, incredibly wealthy. They were impacted by the same earthquake in AD 17 the previous two churches were. But what makes them so different is that they have rebuilt. Their future is bright. And they did it all on their own. When Rome came and offered to help, when Rome offered their power, their wealth, he said, no, nope, we got this. We're all good. We got the money. We can do it ourselves. There was no need for a government handout for them. They're like, we're self-sufficient. I mean, this city has so many things going on. They were known for their incredible textile industry. And they made this black cloth that was sought throughout the Roman Empire that was valued and traded at such a high price incredible, beautiful black cloth. But Jesus says that they are naked. This city, this church was known for a special healing eye salve, had this uh, healing properties, once again, traded at incredibly high value, sought after for people who had any kind of eye problems. This city produced all of that. And Jesus says that you can't See, you're blind. This city has incredible wealth, unlike any place else. And Jesus says that you are poor. And like the city, the church in turn was incredibly wealthy, materially secure, and they thought that they were spiritually safe with no need for further growth. Unfortunately, that attitude made them totally miss the mark on their own condition. They couldn't see themselves the way that Jesus viewed them. They never would have thought those words would apply to them wretched, poor, blind, naked, miserable. They saw themselves exactly opposite of the way that Jesus was viewing them. Think about it like this one of those like TV music talent shows, maybe like, you know, American Idol. And there were those original tryouts. Like, you know, the first, you know, couple sessions of the season were tryouts. And and you just had to watch even if you didn't want to watch, right? Because sometimes a person would get up there on stage and, and they would start to sing. And oh, they so couldn't sing uh, you know and they would get stopped rather early on and then they'd be interviewed afterwards and they would be crying to the camera and you know they really really saw themselves as a singer they thought they were going to make it all the way and they didn't make it like eight seconds into the first audition they saw themselves differently than what so many other people saw them sometimes they would say something like this but my friends told me i could sing And I wanted to yell at the TV, those, they're not really your friends. You need to get new friends. To quote 11 from Stranger Things, friends don't lie, right? If you came to me and said, hey, Doug, I I heard you singing the other day. You should try out for a musical locally. I'm like, oh, you're not my friend. I know it, right? Because you are lying to me. I have a better idea of who I really am than that. But the church, they couldn't understand who they really were. And here's what we know throughout all of these letters. When Jesus offers a rebuke or calls out something ugly or a weakness in the church, he always offers a next step, a course correction, a direction for them to go. And he does that exact same thing here. He says, so I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And buy ointment for your eyes for me, so you will be able to see. Jesus says you think you have so much wealth. It's all fool's gold. No spiritual or eternal value. Find true wealth and gold by investing in my kingdom and my ways. Jesus says, "You produce such fine cloth, but you're naked. Cover up your shame by being clothed in my righteousness." Jesus says, "You make this wonderful healing eye salve. Get." True sight by following me. See the world and people the way that I see them and then respond appropriately. Instead of centering your life around comfort and luxury and entertainment, find true riches and fulfillment in me. And Jesus continues. He he so wants the church to know that he loves them even though these words of rebuke might not sound all that loving. He wants what is best for them. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn away from your indifference. Jesus people I don't love, they, they don't get my attention. They don't get my rebuke. They don't get my course corrections. They, they're not called on in those ways. I correct, I discipline the people that I love. Think a little about it like this. You've been out at a restaurant, amusement park, grocery store, wherever, and you've encountered a stranger trying to correct or discipline someone else's kids. It just feels so incredibly wrong. You feel like you need to intervene because they are not correcting or disciplining out of love. They're doing it out of annoyance. And God says, I love you so much. I don't want you to continue to go down this road that's gonna cause so much harm. So I will discipline you. I will rebuke. I will offer you course correction. Jesus' rebuke comes out of love. If you ever sense the Holy Spirit doing something in your life, calling you out, saying there's some things that need to change. There's some things that do not line up with being a follower of Jesus. It is being done out of love. And there's always this opportunity for this course correction, for ways to change as we follow Jesus. He says, you're lukewarm. And did you catch this last word? So be diligent and turn away from your indifference. Now, honestly, most of us want a different word here. Could we just go with a general sin word? Uh, Turn away from your sin. We like that one better. Or maybe let's list some other specific sins. But this word indifference, we don't think about being indifferent as being a sin. And Jesus says, turn away from your sin indifference. Turn away from being comfortable. Turn away from not really caring about the things that I care about. Turn away from your indifference. And then he continues on in the next verse, and he says this. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Maybe you're familiar with this passage. Maybe you know the famous painting called The Light of the World by William Hunt. And it's Jesus standing and he's knocking at a door. And that door is covered with weeds and vines. Like Looks like it hasn't been opened in forever. And then beyond all that, in this famous painting, there's something that's missing. There's absolutely no handle. There's no way to get in from the outside. If somebody hears that knock and wants to let that person in, it's going to take a lot of effort from the inside to open that door. Here's another picture for you. This is not that famous painting, by the way, right? This is Crossroads. Crossroads. This is a set of doors that probably 98% of you never use. Do you notice what's missing from these doors? There's no lock. There's no key. There's no way to get in from the outside. The shortest route from the church offices to the backstage of the great room are these doors. There have to be some staff that are annoyed, that they have to walk around the church, go inside to open the doors from the inside, right? You simply can't get in from the outside. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting for us. He says, I'm standing there and I'm knocking, but I will not force myself on you. I I will never force that door open. You want to go your own way? I'm not going to force you to go my way. You don't care. You are indifferent about the things that break my heart. I'm not going to force you to care. You don't want me? I'm not going to force my way into your life. But I have no desire. My first choice is never to spit you out. My first choice is to knock for you to hear and for you to open that door and that beautiful picture to sit together as friends and family around the table and to share a meal. Jesus won't force anyone into his kingdom, he won't force anyone to bring a bit of heaven to earth. Doesn't force anyone to join him in the work that he is doing in the here and now and for all of eternity. And then this last letter wraps up. And if you have accidentally memorized any scripture throughout this series, it is probably this that you accidentally memorized. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, why did I say that? Why why might have you accidentally memorized this? This is the only sentence. This is the only line that is repeated in each and every letter. Jesus says it again and again, because remember, these letters are for the churches in modern-day Turkey two thousand years ago. But these letters are also for you and I today. He says, "I'm still talking." I'm still walking with you. I, I still see it all, the, the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly. But if you would just have the ears to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, that what he wants to convey to our church today, what he wants to convey to your life today. If you would just have the ears to listen, then if you could understand the words that he's saying, and then you have a choice. Open the door or keep the door open. Closed. started out this series with the words I want to wrap up with. When we started out, I said, I want you as we go through this series to listen to all of the seven churches, and you're going to find some pieces that remind you of crossroads. Just take note of that. We're going to go throughout this series, and you're going to find some pieces that seem incredibly relevant and real for your own life. And I know part of that has been uncomfortable because, man, the Holy Spirit has been nudging and moving in some of your lives. And you feel like, man, I I was called out for being too tolerant or for being too compromising. Or I, I all of a sudden realized, man, I saw myself as being alive. And Jesus says, like, spiritually dead is the reality. There are some things that need to change. Man, I thought I was hot. I thought I was Oh, man, I thought I was good. Jesus says you're lukewarm, good for nothing. Jesus continues to speak to the church today, continues to work in our lives. The question is, are we listening? And are we making space and room to understand what he wants to say to us? Here's how we want to wrap up today. One of the things on your connection card If you've been here and you have just been kicking the tires on what it means to be a Jesus follower, uh, you've just been exploring faith, but it's time to make a change. It's time to open that door. If this is the day where you want to make a decision to say, "What I'm all in. I have decided to follow Jesus uh, as my Lord, as my Savior, as my forgiver, as my leader. I want to pray for you in just a few minutes. we just love for you to check that box so that we can celebrate with you and make sure you are equipped for the journey that is ahead of you. And then it's an experiential Sunday and it's an opportunity for all of you to respond. There's a couple of different ways of that you can do that. Maybe, you know, you just need to stay where you're at. Sit or stand, just worship, sing, just reflect and pray. Other than this corner, you might see a mailbox and, Hopefully, all receive this letter on the way in. And for those of you that like to write, what might Jesus be saying to you? What are some things that he's been speaking to you about throughout this series? On the other side, for those of you that mm, don't really feel like writing, not so much, On the side screens are reference points about what has happened throughout this entire series, throughout these seven letters. And it's simply some questions about what reminds you the most, what resonated with you the most for our church or for your own personal life. What I want you to understand that this is just for your eyes, because if you write this letter, you fill out the side, nobody else is going to see this except for you. Uh, Up at this station, on two different windowsills, there are envelopes, and all you would ask is you would put this in the envelope, uh, you would seal it, and you would address it. And then at some undetermined time in the distant future, this will arrive at your house. And you'll get to see, you know what? Have some of these things come true in my life? Is this what Jesus is still saying to me? Have there been some changes, some course corrections that have happened? We have a some prayer partners that will be back, I believe, in that corner as well for you. And then we have two different communion corners. An opportunity if you want to just sit at the table with Jesus. Like he said, to share a meal with good friends. We're doing communion by intention. So that simply means you will tear off a piece of bread. You'll be reminded the body of Christ given for you. And you will dip that then in the cup the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're not able to get up and move, uh, so there'll be a steward that'll be able to serve you, just wave them down. If you're with us at home or online, this is the perfect opportunity to raid the pantry, see what you can find to use for communion supplies. But there's no rush to any of this. I'm going to clean up the water hazard down here up front so nobody falls. But as the Spirit speaks and moves, would you have ears to listen? Would you be able to understand what he's saying? And then simply a heart to respond to your Heavenly Father. Just to be with him. There is no rush. The worship team will... Continue to sing until everyone is done. Just spend this time being with Jesus. Spend this time being in tune with the Holy Spirit, responding appropriately. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And sometimes Revelation can be this scary book that we think is only for the future prophecy. Thanks for reminding us that, man, you were speaking clearly to the churches of 2,000 years ago, and you're speaking clearly to the church and to us today. May we have ears to hear. Often that means just getting that time of quiet, turning out the noise of the world, having time just to suspend and to be with you and to hear. So may we hear your still, small voice. May we sense what the Holy Spirit is doing, what he is asking of us, what he is doing in us, what he is doing around us. And may we understand. May if we have a heart of indifference, that heart of apathy, that heart of just thinking, we got it all going on, we don't need anything else. May that be broken in this very moment by your power. May our hearts break for the things that break the heart of God. May we see the world and people the way that you see them, broken and hurting and all too often trapped in darkness. And may we respond appropriately. May we join you in the work that you are doing may we join you in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blood that was shed for us on the cross by Jesus, for that forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the penalty that was paid by him. But we thank you also for that death was defeated, that three days later he walked out of that empty tomb, to give us life in the fullest in the here and now and for all of eternity. So that as you walk with us, your bride, we can walk with you day by day so that we can be with you forever on the other side of eternity. Not because of anything that we have done or that we could do, but all because of the great work that you have done on the cross. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And we even say thank you for your loving discipline and rebuke. When we need it, give us the ears to hear and the heart to respond and understand. May it be so in our lives, our families, our church, our community. May we be a part of spreading your light, your truth, your love, your forgiveness to hurting and broken world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's C-R-B-I-C dot